during the Irish Civil War, Costume Barracks in Athlone was an important base for the National Army. With Sean McKeown as the senior officer, it was from there that the Provisional Government sent forces into the west of Ireland to wage war against the anti-treaty IRA. Costume Barracks also became a major internment camp for anti-treaty IRA prisoners of war, and by December 1922 there were nearly 1,000 crammed into multiple cells and cages. Near the end of that month, they were joined by five new prisoners, Thomas Hughes from Athlone and Michael Walsh, Herbert Collins, Stephen Joyce and Martin Burke, each from County Galway. These five anti-treaty IRA prisoners were tried by military courts-martial on the charge of unauthorised possession of arms and ammunition. All were found guilty and sentenced to death, representing five of the 81 state-sanctioned executions during the conflict. In this report, Ian Kennelly looks in more detail at those events and their legacy, both locally and nationally. The five men were informed of their fate at about 6pm on the evening of 19th of January 1923. Stephen Joyce prepared by writing a letter to his sister Julia, bidding her a last farewell. Tomorrow morning at 8am, he wrote, will be the happiest hour of my life. It must be God's holy will that I should sacrifice my life for Ireland. Life is sweet, said Martin Burke in a letter to his brother, but still, he was prepared to die. Poor Tom Hughes is by my side, he wrote, a soldier to the last. Thomas Hughes, meanwhile, was writing a letter to his mother. My darling mother, we are just after being told that we are to be executed in the morning at 8 o'clock. Do not fret for me, as with God's holy will, I will be prepared to meet him, as it is a grand thing to get timely warning before you die. My companions and I do not bear any malice against those who are going to carry out the deed. So, with letters written, the five men faced their final hours. The culmination of those hours took place on the edge of a small patch of grass hidden behind high walls on the grounds of Costume Barracks. No account of the execution survives except for one perhaps fictionalised version written by Anthony O'Connor, who was then a young National Army recruit stationed in Athlone. O'Connor wrote his account in a novel entitled He's Somewhere In There. Although long out of print, O'Connor's book was recently rediscovered and contextualised by historian Schiefer Aiken in her work Spiritual Wounds. It is not clear if O'Connor witnessed the executions, but in his version the condemned men were shot in one group by the firing squad. Immediately afterwards, an officer, holding a handgun, stepped forward and shot each of the fallen men once in the head. In Athlone, the execution spawned many local stories. One remarkable example comes from Joseph Flynn, a resident of the town, whose father Martin was a soldier in the National Army during the Civil War. Martin Flynn served with a fellow soldier named Thomas Johnston, both of whom, according to a tradition within those families, were detailed to the execution unit in Costume Barracks in January 1923. Joseph Flynn described to me the story that he first heard while growing up in Athlone. Yeah, yes. Tommy Johnson and my father, seemingly. So my father and uh, Tommy went over to that little chapel or something and uh, they looked down, so the boys mustn't have been uh, behind bars, uh, the people who were going to be uh, killed or shot, indeed. Uh, and they looked down. And uh, one said to the other, he said, Martin, look down. 
they're Irish men, he said, they're going to be shot. And we're part of the firing squad tomorrow morning. Now we're back from, we're back from the front. We're back from the front. It's as simple as that. The war is over. We were out there trying to kill Germans. And that's true. That's not wrong. And you and I are going to stand before that and kill six people, Irishmen, for something. It's highly debatable whether it was right or wrong. Well, he said, Tommy, I, whatever you do, I'll do. So the morrow came anyway, and uh, they all were brought out with the firing party and were told to fall in, seemingly it's an army thing, and they had their guns and all that, and uh, they brought out, and uh, the six, or I don't know how many people were going to be shot, or were they going to be shot in twos and threes and all that, but this is what happened to my father anyway. And they walked out anyway, and they fell in, and they had it arranged uh, to, when they got the order, uh, an order of one, two. It meant get the guns ready or something like that. But they said to one another, when we hear one, two, we won't. We'll take two steps back. And they did get the order. And they did take the two steps back. And that put everything into disarray then. The whole, that the whole firing party was stopping the pink. And those two reenagers was take, they were taken away, my father and Tommy Johnson, and they were put into a clink or somewhere else anyway. Then what they, the execution still went ahead, so it did. But it was hell to do in that loan. I was told this after, but now I'm 91 at the moment, so I did know a lot of kind of elderly people. And they say, young friend, he said, your father did this and all, you know what I mean? So it did, it did, did cause a lot of um, uproar in that loan. Joe mentions that six people were to be executed. Although five men were ultimately shot that morning in January 1923, Tom McGuire, a senior officer in the anti-treaty IRA who was then a prisoner in Costume Barracks, later claimed that he too had been sentenced to death, although the sentence was never carried out. Joe's father rarely talked about the First World War or the Irish Civil War. Joe, as a child and as a young man, learned about the events of January 1923 from people in Athlone, usually older citizens who had experienced the Civil War and who provided him with recollections and stories related to the executions. You see, as the years go on, like we all hear different accounts and, you know, people talk about and some people meet and they say, oh, we, we, we don't remember, but we heard about it. But I had a great friend, folks, and he lived in Chapel Street and was a great friend of mine. He used to say, and he never drank, but now and again he would buy an agon of brandy. And he'd come over to me and he'd sit down and we'd talk. And he'd say, when he'd drink, I, I used to vividly remember when he'd be, be gone halfway, gone through the nagging of brandy. He'd just kind of, he'd sob. He would sob, actually. And he'd say, Joe, Jesus, Joe, he said, your father was great. And he didn't stick with them. He said he was great. Himself and Tommy Johnson wouldn't shoot the prisoners. And I just said, Pat, what? Oh, he said it was terrible. What happened that day? He said, he said my mother, my, my father, of course, was with McKeown, but there was lots of rows in the house over this and all. He said, but when, the, when Tommy Johnson and your father, Martin Flynn, reneged, it turned a terrible lot of people against McKeown. The story of the executions was not yet over. During the Civil War, the government had refused to return to the families the remains of those executed. However, after the war, that policy came under public scrutiny. 
The government faced immense financial pressures worsened by the damage to infrastructure caused by anti-treaty IRA attacks, and it could no longer maintain such a vast and costly army. As thousands of soldiers were subsequently demobilised, the army had no need for many of the buildings that it had occupied during the conflict, and it relinquished control of locations around the country, including some in which executions had taken place. An example was Tume Workhouse, which was the site of executions on two occasions during the Civil War. Before the army departed Tume in August 1924, it exhumed the remains buried there and transferred those who had been executed in April 1923 to Atlone's Costume Barracks. There, they were reburied. Those events quickly became public knowledge, resulting in widespread criticism of William Cosgrave's government, which responded by authorising the exhumation of all the executed men and the return of the remains to their families. On the day of the handover in October 1924, ceremonies were conducted at multiple locations across the country. The largest ceremony, however, was in Atlone, where 20 motor vehicles were lined up along the town bridge. 20 vehicles for 20 bodies. The scene was described by a newspaper reporter. Notwithstanding the inclemency of the weather, a drenching downpour continued from early morning. A large crowd had collected in the square or marketplace opposite the west gate of Costume Barracks. Many of the spectators were women and girls. Shortly after 11 o'clock, about 20 motor vehicles and a motor hearse arrived and were lined up from Market Square along the bridge to Costume Place. A few minutes before 12 o'clock, a guard of honour of IRA arrived and were formed up in double line facing the entrance gate to the barracks. Sometime later, two soldiers, carrying rifles with bayonets fixed at the slopes, emerged from the barracks and arrested a young man named Bernard Mulvihill, who appeared to be in charge of the Republican Guard of Honour. He was conveyed into the barracks between the two soldiers, and as he passed in through the gates, a little cheer went up from the bystanders. The young man acknowledged the cheer by taking off his hat, after which there were shouts of, Up the Republic! The ceremony began soon after. The first body handed over was that of Michael Walsh from Strand, County Galway. After Walsh, the remains of the others were handed over at intervals of 10 minutes each. According to contemporary newspapers, the remains of the dead were contained in the coffins in which they were originally buried. Each of the coffins was then encased in a larger wooden casket painted a bright yellow. Perhaps the return of the dead brought those families a moment of relative peace. For the country it signified that while the civil war was over, its legacy would endure. That was Ian Kennelly reporting there on the executions at Costume Barracks in Athlone and the enduring legacy of the civil war. Our thanks to actor John McGlynn as well as the Flynn and Johnston families for their assistance with that report.